Hi, you are listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. That was kind of a long chapter, but it's a powerful chapter. And this is the first time where we see that Jesus left and the disciples, they kind of have to kind of, you know, do things on their own. And uh, Jesus always told them, don't depart from Jerusalem until the moment where you receive this power, right? Like, don't go in your own strength. Make sure that you receive what now they know as the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here is you have this room full of people. Some people, some of the theologians put it at about 100. Some people put it at 200. Uh, There's a lot of people in here. And they're praying together. And as they're praying, this supernatural thing happens where there's this shake and there's this windstorm. And then there's these, these tongues like a, a made of fire that come and rest upon every single head. It, it's a supernatural thing. I mean, when was the last time you preached? I mean, you preached or when was the last time you prayed with someone and you saw something like that? That would be pretty cool to see, wouldn't it? But... You know, to people, even that, they, they see this whole thing unfolding. And then the next thing is they start hearing these people speaking in their own languages. So think about this. Like, I am from Moldova. Most of you, I don't think anybody here speaks Moldovan or Romanian, right? Like, imagine, well, you kind of know goodbye, but that's about it. Um, but, like... <laughs> But, like, imagine, like, you have Ukrainians, you have Russians, you have Americans, you have people from Mexico, you know, Spanish people. You, you have all these dialects and all these languages. And out of, out of a sudden, you start seeing these people start speaking different languages they didn't know before. It's a supernatural sign. And some people start to mock this and say, well, they're probably drunk. And Peter says, when the Holy Spirit came on Peter, he stood up and said... Listen, everyone. So, so th- there's this boldness that comes over Peter, right? Like there's this, a lot of people think that when the Holy Spirit comes over you, you're kind of like, oh, I can't control it. Like you see all these things on, 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 on TV. You see all these videos on, on, on Facebook. And it's like, I can't control myself because the Holy Spirit is over me. That's not what happens. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon, upon Peter and he is bold. He's proclaiming the gospel and says, no, 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 we're not drunk. It's too early for that anyway. What's happening is this power that was promised to us descended on us. And it's not just for us. It's for every single person that believes in Jesus Christ. They will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's not just for Peter and for the disciples. He is speaking to even to us today. He says, one day, you know, Joe was prophesying that this will happen. And right now is just the beginning of God pouring out His Spirit on every single person. Now, when I read these passages and I'm like, on the last days, uh, when I hear God saying, in the last days I'll pour out my Spirit upon all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I'll pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they'll prophesy. When was the last time you heard your friends prophesying? When was the last time you had a vision of God speaking supernaturally, supernaturally in, in your dreams? It doesn't really happen, at least not in our youth ministry, not that much. I'm sure there's some people that, that have that. Don't you feel a bit kind of cheated? 
God, I mean, you promised this. You promised that wherever we go, we will see signs and, and wonders. You, we will prophesy. We'll see visions. We'll pray for the sick and the lame. And they, they will we'll start walking again. And they will get better. God, you promised that... A lot of times when I, when, I, when I read these passages, and then I look at our church, or I look at our ministry, and I'm just like, was God not serious? Have we been lied to? Because I, I don't really see this. Why doesn't it happen with us? I mean, I'm sure you have at least one story of someone promising you the world, and then you end up to find out that it's not exactly like they promised it to you. Right? Like, I remember one time we, uh, I was trying to find a job, and this, this ad on Craigslist said that opportunity to become a manager and all these things, like this long, a long ad and they tell me um, to come for an interview. I come for an interview. And I'm like, so what exactly is this job? And they're like, well, you know. Like, tomorrow you'll come and you'll, uh, what's called a job shadowing. Like, where you're going to see what our people do. So, and I'm like, yeah, but what do you guys really do? And they're like, well, you'll see tomorrow. Just sign right here. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to give a day. And I keep on asking them what exactly, because they make it sound so good. Like, you can make this six-figure income and you can... You know, you can become a manager and you, you don't have to have a degree. You can, you know, when you hear something that's too good to be true, it usually is too good to be true. But obviously, I was too young to understand that. So I was like, okay, well, I sign up. And the next day, I, I get in the car with them and we start driving to this neighborhood. And I'm like, okay, what exactly do you do? And they're like, okay, we'll see. And it turns out we end up spending the whole day going from house to house, knocking on doors, selling them Subway coupons. That, is, that, that was not the job that I was hoping for. But at this time, I didn't really have a ride back home, so I literally had to spend a whole day doing this. Needless to say, by the time I got back to the, to the company, I was extremely mad. Because I, I felt cheated. But really, I kind of went along with what they said. So they're like, so are you interested? And I'm like, I got in my car, didn't even say anything, I just left. Now that I think about it, I should have probably not done that, but... You know when you have something that you promised and it wasn't delivered? When you hear Christians say a lot about like, you know, if you, if you encounter Jesus, your life will never be the same and God is powerful. Actually, there was, the president of India said this, that I love, you know, you know the way he said it is, you Christian make such a extraordinary claims, but live such ordinary lives. You struggle with the same things. You, you're just as desperate in the moment when someone dies. You're just as desperate when you're dealing with depression. Is your faith worth anything? Is what he was asking. So my question to you is, do you ever feel like your, your faith, you, maybe you kind of got a little bit cheated off? Like, we were promised all these things and then you end up not seeing that in your life. And you kind of, maybe you, you should wonder, why is that? Because that's the healthy thing to do. Because God is not a liar. What he wrote is true. But we have to implement what he wrote to see. You see, God never gives you an ability to heal unless you're going to use it for his glory. God is never going to, you know, 
promote you and do all that if you're completely self-centered and prideful. Because you see, the Bible says that pride comes before the what? The fall. The moment you get prideful is the moment you're about to, to face plant. Just, you know, I, I, I look at my own life so many times where I, I feel like I've been going a couple weeks with no sin, not, not a lot of sin in my life. I'm just like, I'm doing pretty good. That's the moment I should worry because it always happens. The next moment I fall. The next moment I sin against God. You see, for God is, God is, is more worried about not just one sin. He's worried about the character, the pride that you have. And actually, the first sin, is like we talked about last time, it was actually pride. It wasn't one act. It was, it was pride in our hearts. So, so for us to destroy pride, we have to agree with what God says, like we talked last time, and, and say, God, you are the God of my life. I will not put Slavic on the pedestal. I will serve you. Whatever you say, I will enjoy things in your time, in your season. God, I will enjoy things the way you designed them. God, I will listen to what you have to say and follow through with that. You see, God designed His Word to work only if that's going to be for His glory, not for your own self-service. You have to use it the way God designed it to. I remember I was working in construction. At this time, I had maybe two weeks in construction. I was telling people that I was all that in a bag of chips in construction, but I wasn't. I didn't really know what I was doing. And like, I remember, do you guys know what a chop saw is? Like you cut things with it. Like it kind of goes like this for them. Uh, for them, those people who don't know what it is, it's basically a, a blade and you pull it down and you cut things with it. And this blade, you can actually adjust it to cut different degrees, right? So I was trying to cut a different degree and I could not adjust that for the life of me. And it was not my chop saw, it was actually my friends. And I got so frustrated. I took a rubber mallet and I started hitting like to change the degree. And my friend comes around the corner and he's just like horrified. He's like, what are you doing? And he comes and he just takes one finger, lifts the knob, sets the, you know, and changes the degree. He says, dude, all you have to do is this. It's not the problem. Thanks, David. <laughs> the problem was not in the chop saw. The problem was not in the mallet. I was just using the mallet for the wrong job. And I was not using the chop saw in the way it was intended to be. But if you feel like you've been doing that with Christianity, don't feel bad. You're not the first one. Actually, some of the greatest people in the Bible have done the same exact thing. They fell into the same trap. Case in point, the greatest prophet that has ever lived. Jesus says that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that has ever lived. But you know what's interesting to me? Is that when Jesus is not even born, John the Baptist is born with one purpose. That is to prepare the way for the Messiah. His whole life, imagine if you were born for one specific purpose, and that is to make Jesus great. If you were born for it, your whole life only makes sense in the light of Jesus coming. You are the messenger, the only messenger that God sends before Jesus to declare that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I know I'm driving this home really hard, but I want you to understand his whole life purpose. Imagine your whole life purpose is to make one person famous. 
And, and when Jesus comes to get baptized, John sees it right away that this is the person, this is the God, this is the Messiah, that my whole life would not make any sense if it wasn't for him. So he says, I am not worthy to even, even wash your feet. Lord, you should baptize me. And he looks at Jesus as Jesus is making his way down. And he says, here comes the lamb who's going to take the sin of the world. That was a prophecy over Jesus. He, he, he was already saying what God and the Trinity already knew, right? Like Jesus is going to be the pro, I mean, Jesus is going to be the lamb who's going to take every single sin away. John was very sure about this. He was very sure about Jesus being the Messiah. He was very sure about his calling. He was very sure about what Jesus was supposed to do. He knew how unimportant he was. He knew how important Jesus was. He knew all these things. But check this out. Like, this is what it just gets to me every single time. Matthew 11, 22 and 6. Don't, don't open there. I could just read it. It says, now, now when John heard in prison about the deeds Christ has done, he, said, he, he sent his disciples to ask a question. Okay, so a little bit of perspective. John, after he declares Jesus as the Messiah, starts speaking against the guy in charge. Okay? And he says, you know, he starts speaking against the king. The king should not sleep with his brother's wife. And he's thrown in prison. And in prison is very dark, it's not like the prisons we have today. He's in a very dark place. And imagine John sitting in the cell, dark, abandoned. He, has, he had such a powerful life. He wasn't a model, but regardless, he was such a... And then he's finding himself with no influence. He has maybe some people, his disciples, that kind of visit him from time to time. He, he is in a very dark place. And he starts to doubt. And he's asking, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus. And what, this is what he's asking. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Can, can I put this in perspective for you a little bit more? If you, your whole life's purpose was to make this one guy famous... And then you just lost hope in saying, are you really the Messiah? John, wait a second. You're the one who told us he's the Messiah. John, you're the one who said, you know, all that famous language that you used, the famous words like, oh, here comes the lamb that's going to take the sins of the world. John, what are you talking about? Like, you only followed him because you told us to. Now you're, you're doubting too? But when John was squeezed from every single side, when you feel like you've been abandoned, when you lost your influence, when nobody seems to visit you anymore other than some maybe few faithful friends, you start to doubt, Jesus, are you really my Savior? Jesus, should I, should I put my... So what John is asking, Jesus, should I put my hope in someone else? And I think for you guys, uh, for the guys in, in, this, in this place, is when it, it seems like Jesus has failed you, you're thinking, Jesus, should I put my hope in someone else? Maybe, should I try drinking? Or should I put my hope in maybe in pornography? Maybe that'll ease the pain. Jesus, should I, should I put my, 
my hope in something else. That's what John is asking. He's at his low. My question to you is, is where are you right now? And when, when he feels like Jesus is not, you know, what you expected him to be. You see, the problem again is not with Jesus. The problem is how we understand Jesus. I want to make a disclaimer. We're going to go a little bit over time today. But I want to drive these points because I think it's extremely important and we're going to go into a prayer. So I'm going to ask the piano player to kind of like maybe do it quietly. But I want to ask you this, is when you find yourself like Jesus is not answering anymore, when you find yourself in that year like Pavel was talking about, what do you you run towards? Because you've been submitting, you've been changing Jesus as God to this thing that's supposed to satisfy you for just a moment. If you find yourself disappointed in Jesus, maybe you got the wrong impression of who Jesus is. Maybe you got his job description wrong. Because this is what he's saying next. Jesus answered them and said, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Blessed is the one who takes no offense to me. Put that in perspective. What Jesus is saying is, look, my calling was not for you not to suffer being in prison. My, John, somewhere along the line, thought that Jesus is going to revolt against the Roman Empire and he's going to become this king and everyone is going to rule with him. And Jesus starts to talk about, like, yeah, I'll, I'll be killed and crucified. And everyone's like, but all the king stuff, like, all the government, and like, but well, what are you talking about being killed? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You got the wrong impression of me. I came to see those who are blind to see, those who are lame to walk. I came that the good news is preached. Now, if they're going to crucify me, do you think they're going to treat you any better? When the kingdom of God is invading something that was taken over by Satan, do you think you're going to have an easy life? When two kingdoms collide... Do you think the people are going to treat you good? No, no, John. I hope you don't stumble on account of me. Because you see, my job was never to take over the Roman Empire and become some kind of hack political party. My goal was never to become a Republican or, a Republican or Democrat or, or you know, to, to become part of a system. My calling was completely different, and that is to point, to see people that were, were destined for health, to, to change their trajectory and save these people and give them a new life, to see people restored, family restored, to see the enemy's head being crushed, that is my purpose so as we go into 2018 if you don't want to get to to December and feel disappointed with your calling 
If you don't want to get to 2018 December and wonder what your life is about, then I want you to start shifting your perspective and align your perspective not with what you think Jesus should do for you, but what Jesus really says about himself. Amen? That we, we start looking and say, God has not called us to be comfortable. God has called us to reach to the people who are untouchables. People that have anger issues and people that are just, frankly, weird. He's called us to pray for the sick. He's called us to be a friend for those who don't have any friends, to visit those who are in prison. He's called us to to stand up and stand on the truth that He's given us and declare the hope that we have in the gospel. That's why He's called us, to preach the good news to every single one of uh, people that we encounter, and us included. That is the the job description that Jesus called us to. Now, if you feel like you've been exhausted, if maybe somehow you made it in 2018, dragging your body over over, over the, the, you know, January 1st line. For me, it was kind of a weird last three days because I didn't do much. I was just like, I don't really know where to start. People are so like, oh, 2018, man. New me, like a New Year's. And I was just like, the last three days, I've literally just been like really thinking. I'm like, Lord, where do you want, where do you want me to start? Like it was not, to say that 2017 was a good year for me, it wasn't exactly. But I'm like, Lord, all I care about is we, we need to go back to what you called us to do. But look what he says in Matthew 11, 28. says this, come to me. If you are tired, Vadim read this, and I didn't know you are going to read this, but it's my note. So come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. What Jesus is saying is if you have been exhausted and you can no longer carry on, maybe you've been carrying some burdens. Maybe you've been, you've been serving some gods that you were never meant to serve. And those gods are extremely demanding. And they've placed uh, a, a weight on you. They've placed a bondage on you. They've placed things on you. And you can't, you want to run for the Lord. You want to come to the altar, but you can't because you have all these things. And Jesus says, come to me because what I have to give, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. Now, if you come to me, you, you don't have to understand that, first of all, he, you don't come to me as a friend. I will be a friend. I, I love what Paul said that he says, like, what led me is, is knowing God's goodness, because the Bible makes it very clear, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Is to remember God saying, God, you, you've done so much for me, and, and he says, come to me, come to me willingly. Now you can go and start throwing your hands in the air and you can be in your, in your kind of like little world and think you're important, all those things, which you are important to God. But I, I feel like a lot of times we, we serve these gods that don't give us anything. All they want is commitment. All they want is worship. And it's all in vain. The God of depression. Yeah, that's a spirit. You've been giving a lot of time to it. The God of pornography. I don't even call it a 
God because it's God little g, an idol of pornography. You've been serving all these these idols and they are demanding. And, And Jesus says, drop all that, come to me. You want to see a change in your life? Come to me. But understand that when you do come to me, it's not your expectations. It's what I said that I can fulfill for you. You see, that chop saw was meant to cut things. And that mallet was meant to hit things with. But if they're used the wrong way, Jesus is for your prosperity. But if you start using prosperity, Jesus is for having influence. People are like, oh, I don't want to be famous. I'm like, I want to be famous. Jesus was very famous. Being famous is influence. It's how you use that influence that determines what kind of person you are. Because we have this, you know, because usually fame is associated with vanity. Yeah, of course, if you just do it for yourself. But if you use the influence you're given, if you use the money that you're given to worship Him, if you use the, the relationships that you have to serve others, if you use the things that you have, it's a wonderful thing. It's when we start misusing that. When we use our time to serve the gods of addictions, when we use our, our money to, to buy the gods of muffler and the gods of, of turbo on your WRX and like, you know, when you start using everything and all, oh, you can't, you don't have time for youth ministry because I got a job slot. Well, if you didn't spend $600 on, on a muffler, maybe you would have used that time, that money translated into time and actually serve in the house. I'm just saying. Am I stepping on some toes yet? Like, it's not, it's not about buying or not buying. It's about serving what kind of God we serve here. If you come to Him, get this, it's not on your terms. It's completely on His. Ultimately, He is the Lord. Ultimately, He is the one who changes. Hebrews 11.6 says, And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to Him must believe that God exists and that He is the rewarder of those who sincerely seek Him. Did you get that? It says that God rewards those who sincerely look for Him. Okay, I don't know if you got that. What I want to say is God is in the business of rewarding those who are seeking for Him, who are pursuing Him, who are looking for Him everywhere they go. God rewards those people. You want to find God? Pursue Him. He is the rewarder of those who sincerely look for Him. You can't keep on agreeing with the enemy, thinking, why isn't God changing my life? Because you believe the enemy who's a liar, and you don't believe God who's never told a lie, who only tells the truth. You have to believe that He exists, and you have to come on His terms, not on your terms. God, you know, I I come to you, but I'm going to keep this relationship. You know it's not godly. No, 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 no. We're going to get him there. Okay, but but this one thing, yeah, he's going to take care of that. It's on his terms. And either he comes and God, take all of me or none. 
Because I've said this analogy before, if you're fully on the roller coaster, you have a great time. If you're one foot in and one foot out, you get killed. Christianity is sort of like that. If you're out, well, you're not really passionate about it. If you're on the ride, it's very powerful. But if you're in with one foot and one foot out, you're going to get destroyed. You can't serve God and the enemy. By default, you're serving the enemy in that situation. It's either fully for him or fully out. When you come to him, you have to understand that he exists. He rewards those who come to him. You have to trust him. I'm not even halfway through my page. You maybe will do a second sermon on this. But, but like, the next thing is you're going to have to trust him. Because what Paul said, it's true. You know, you can give up everything. And then wonder, God, was this a good idea? Apostle Paul says this, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. How is that for breakfast? Being beat. Right? Like three times I was beaten with rods. That's very appealing. Being beat with rods? Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift in the sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced, well, as, as from, I faced a lot of things from the Gentiles. I have faced danger, dangers from cities, from deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring my sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone with, without food. I have shivered and cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. What Apostle Paul is saying is, I went from the elite, I was the philosopher, I was the religious leader, and by the way, when Stephen got stoned, it was Apostle Paul who was giving orders for Stephen to get stoned. So he was someone, and he went from that. When he encountered God, everything changed, and Apostle Paul went from being the elite, from persecuting people, to being persecuted, and spending time in the jail, and talking about this, like, serving Christ is not exactly a walk in the park, is what he's saying. Really, Paul, why would you do this? And he goes on to another famous passage of his in Philippians 3, 7, 14. says, I once thought that these things were valuable. What he's talking about is the prestige and being elite and be that. I consider them worthless now because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is, is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting all garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. He says, for all of that, I gave up because I wanted to understand the knowledge of, of Christ. So what does that do ultimately? You know what that does? When someone commitly, completely commits their life to Christ, it impacts everyone around them. Tradition says that James, uh, the son of Zebedee, was, was a fisherman, and he was also, uh, when, when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry, and then when he was about to be beheaded, the soldier that was kind of like making sure that he doesn't escape proclaimed his faith 
and Jesus and was actually martyred at the same time as James. So James was martyred and the soldier proclaimed, what causes a person to turn like that? You know what causes? To see the genuine faith of a person who's totally given into what God has called them to do. D.L. Moody said, the world has yet to see what God can do through a person who is fully dedicated to him. He actually heard that and he said, by God's grace, I will be that, that man. I look at all these things and I'm just like, this is what really impacts a person and, and people around us is when, he, when they see genuine faith. Not how many followers you have and this and that. It's someone that's so passionate for the Lord, so given into that. They're like, obviously what they believe, it's, what they believe is must be true because they're willing to give up their life for it. The greatest sermons are written by martyrs because they valued what they said with their life. They value what well, I mean, they, they value what, what, what they proclaim. They're willing to put their life on the line for it. So where does this leave us? I, I really hope that in 2018, we start focusing on that. That we do ministry not based on what God says about us. I mean, sorry, we do ministry not uh, what we say about God and what our standards are, but what God says about us and what he says about himself, and we come to him on his terms and completely fully surrender. Now, why would you all of us do this? I love this passage in 2 Timothy 4, 6, says this, As for me, so Apostle Paul, after all these beatings, after all these things that he's gone through, he writes his, his closing remarks and says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my dear uh, death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Now, listen to this will give to me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly looked for his appearance. It's not just for him. What God has prepared is not for the disciples only. It's for us too. For those who pursue him eagerly. For those who says, constantly looks to the the heavens to see, Lord, when do you come back? I'm ready. Any minute, Lord, would you, I'm ready for you to come back. It says, for those who are waiting for his appearance, the reward is not just for me, it's for them also. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? 